And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a special hello goes out to the director of media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Mark Boland. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Episode 21 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features Mike Corrigan, an 11-year NHL veteran with the LA Kings, Vancouver Canucks, and Pittsburgh Penguins. Mike was both an original LA King and Vancouver Canuck, but it was his second go-around with the Kings where he made his mark in the NHL. A tough, versatile, and gritty forward, Mike scored 37 goals with the Kings in 1972-73, playing on a line with Whitey Whiting and Bob Berry. He was a key part of the Kings 74-75 squad that garnered 105 points during the regular season. Mike's career ended with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 76-77 when he suffered a horrendous leg injury versus the Sabres, but in hindsight, even this story was hilarious. A great storyteller, Mike is one of hockey's good guys, a man who appreciates his place in hockey history, and he's well-liked by everyone. He loves the game and gives back far more than he ever received. I've known Mike for quite some time, and he never fails to put a smile on my face. I think you'll be smiling too as you listen to the recollections from Mike's colorful career. Please note that Mike references some events he'll be at in early 2019, one of which is the Springfield Thunderbirds blast from the past night. This night is on January 5th, not on January 11th as referenced later in the podcast. Also remember to subscribe and leave a rating for us on iTunes. The link is in the show notes. You can also email the Pro Hockey Alumni at ProHockeyAlumni at gmail.com and home base for our show and all of our many social media sites is ProHockeyAlumni.org. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Mike Corrigan. We're back on the show with Mike Corrigan, and if there were a Hall of Fame for good guys in hockey. Mike would be a first ballot uh, selection. Um, great to have you here, Mike. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Hey, it's great to be here, Mark. Uh, as you know, it goes way back when I came up from Pittsburgh, uh, when I finished as assistant coach with the Penguins, and I came up to work with my uh, son-in-law, and, I ran, and Gordy Howe and Andre Lacroix called me, and Ever since that's when I met Mark Willan, great guy, and uh, I'm happy to be on his show. A lot of people obviously know Mike from his days as the L.A. Kings and Vancouver Canucks, Springfield Kings, Pittsburgh Penguins, but he's also a big part of the Hartford Whalers alumni. Even today, I was in charge of the team, and we had a good team, as you noted, Gordy and Andre and uh, Bobby Crawford and whatever, Tommy Rowe, Marty Howe, whatever. But I had then heard that... uh, Mike Corrigan was moving uh, into the area. I went to, went to uh, Gordy and Andre and said, oh, yeah, I would love to have him. And so he called, and you became a part of our team, and you really fit in like you had played uh, with the team forever. It was a lot of fun, and it was a, it was a great group of guys, and you were a big part of that. Yeah, uh, the big thing about it was is how, you know, that I knew players uh, like Gordy. I mean, Gordy was like an idol 
and uh, you know, to me, and uh, you know, with Bobby Orr, who I think is the greatest, and I get a lot of arguments about that, but that's my opinion. And uh, but playing on that team is I, uh, Bobby Crawford. I know him, you know, a little bit. Norm Barnes and and Tommy Rowe. I played against, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so it just fit it fitted in well. But it was just how the. Uh, we became like a family. The Whalers were good to me, and you know, for not playing for the team, they, they welcomed me. Uh, you know, welcomed me very much. That I was so proud of. And plus, the Forum Club, that restaurant upstairs where we used to go to all the games, right, was outstanding. Mike, looking back over your career, you played for the Toronto Marlboros uh, up in the mecca of hockey. That was, that was a was a franchise that was almost like an NHL franchise back in the day. You'd have the big crowds, uh, sell out Maple Leaf Gardens. You, obviously, one of the top players there. You also had a uh, a 17-year-old defenseman in your last year there, Brad Park. Um, I was curious, when you saw Brad play that year, had you any idea of that he was going to become a Hall of Fame caliber defenseman in the NHL? Well, I have to say that I didn't know that he'd be a Hall of Famer, but I knew he'd be a great player. He was a great defenseman on our team. I mean, you look back at uh, them Marlboro teams and the junior A then, you know, Niagara Falls with all the Boston players. Uh, and then, you know, you had Oshawa with eventually Bobby Orr came. But, I mean, Peterborough Peach, you had great players. But our franchise was would be like something like Notre Dame and stuff like that. I mean, we had 16,000 people on Sunday. A bad crowd Friday was 9,000, but we had nine to 12,000. Then we'd go to these small places and towns, and they'd be like Niagara Falls, Peterborough, it'd be 6,000, 7,000. But when you played in front of that, I've been playing in front of that crowd since 15 and a half to 19 and a half before right. I went to the Kings, and I won an MVP with the Marlboros, with Jim McKinney. Now, Brad Park and Jim McKinney, uh, Jim McKinney was rated as high as Bobby Orr, and then Brad Park came in later. So that's how our team had such caliber players. Right. Uh, but as far as getting back to Brad, oh, yeah. I mean, he was NHL caliber. Um, I mean, we had about 16 players go to the NHL off our team. So yeah, it <laughs> that, was, that's a uh... lot of players. It was loaded, and I was curious when you mentioned the crowds you'd be getting in Toronto and the attention and the TV and the coverage. What was it like? You you were an original Los Angeles King. Uh, You're just a kid out there. You're the youngest guy on the team. Uh, But now you you go to L.A., and it's not what it is now back then. You're building hockey, and it was nothing like Toronto. What type of, of a difference was that for you as a kid? Well, when you first went out to, like in Toronto, I mean, you had star status. I mean, you're in the papers. Uh, you walk out, you're signing autographs. You're going, I'm not, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> to yourself. And nice. you just do it. And they explain a lot of this to you. But when I went to L.A., uh, the first game, the opening game in the forum, is we sold out. And then Wednesday night, we got 7,000 people. And don't forget Jack Tent Cook from Toronto, Canada, brought hockey to L.A., and, you know, he, he was selling it. and But anyway, Red Kelly was our coach. And I said, I just, I, said, I thought I was joking, but he didn't like it. I said, Red, what's going on? I said, we got we got more people in junior games in, in Toronto. And he said, kid, just shut up and play. <laughs> and, then, 
And then after, what it was all about was building hockey. This right. Just, I, I, you know, I refer, Mark, is to uh, Hartford. Remember Hartford on the weekends? Sold out, and then Wednesday nights you get the 10,000 or the 9,000. Exactly. And I, yeah, I think that weeknight game, because it was new to Hartford, but again, it comes back to winning. You have, you know, that was only our first year, but once they started winning, he started getting crowds. I, and, uh, but uh, it was an experience, but I, I, to me, it was a great experience because I had a great owner. Uh, Jack Kent Cook was one of the great owners I've ever played for. Were known. This guy brought you in and said, I want you to get a place and I want you to be in the community. He didn't worry about how good you were going to play or whatever. He wanted you there. And he mm -hmm. said, all I want you to do is make sure you're a king. And, you know, you, and that's the, I appreciated it. Uh, I know I'm going on a little longer, but. No, I it's fine because he, he, he put L.A. hockey on the map and the Kings would yes, not exist he, without him. Yes, he did. And, you know, I was at the 50th anniversary and everybody out there, I you know, in Boston area would love this, but uh, a couple of reporters came to ask me. Anyway, they were interviewing me, and I said, Jack Kent Cook brought hockey to Los Angeles. He's the greatest. He's the greatest owner that I think uh, for me. And I played for DeBartolo, and I played for. No, I didn't say Mr. DeBartolo was not a good owner, uh, but I said. I think because I just started there, you know, in LA. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, I've had a couple of good experiences with the Bartolo too. But anyway, let's get back to this LA thing. So they're interviewing <laughs> me and I'm telling about Jack Kent Cook. And then I said, you know, I said, we had great years. I said, I remember playing Boston in the sixth game and we were down three to one and I scored two goals in the last two minutes and then Butchie scoring scored in overtime. But people were trying to, we're leaving with 10 minutes to go in the game. They're trying to get back in after we scored two goals, you know? And that really, that year, we had 105 points or so. Like, we brought hockey into L.A. But then, after it started, you know, the, once you started winning, the money started going up a little bit. Well, players started wanting more money, started leaving. Then they started making trades. And then... The era of Wayne Gretzky, and I said in my era, I thought that Bobby Orr was the greatest player to ever play, and then you get the Gordie Howe, uh, John Belleville, Stan Nikita. But, I mean, I played against great players. That was the biggest thing that I loved in my era. I played against great players. And, uh, and then a player said, since somebody asked me, well, what about Wayne Gretzky? I said, Sir, I did not play against Wayne Gretzky. I think he's the greatest player, but not in my era. Right. I think Bobby Orr is. And that was the thing after that interview. When I finished the interview, a couple of reporters came over and asked me the same thing. They were trying to get an answer out of me. Saying, <laughs> you, you don't think Wayne Gretzky... Who said that? You see what I'm saying? So today, that's the difference, too, in the press. Uh, with the press, nothing against the press, right? But they're always looking for something. Absolutely. Something. You have to watch yourself with the phones, especially the phones today.
Oh, absolutely. I mean? It's different. I mean, obviously, it's a whole different environment where even as a team, as a teammate yourself with your teammates back in the day where maybe you could get away with some stuff, have some fun, have some bonding, yeah. things like that. Now you've got to watch, you know, watch your back because somebody's got a phone in your face wherever you go. Yes. And, you know, and hey, look, I think it's great for stuff but when some serious things happen. But now when people are having fun and joking and stuff and, uh, you know, you can go on and on with that stuff with the phone, but I don't want to because to me, I go on and on. People think today some of the littlest things are the biggest things. They're nothing. You know, it's like my grandmother and my mother used to say, hey, you can have all the money in the world, boy, but if you don't have your health, remember when you were about eight or nine? Ah, what's that? Right. And then when you get my age now, 72, and you see people around you leaving leaving you, you say, wow, isn't that true? Uh, in between your stops in, L in L.A., you had a, uh, a brief and successful stop in Rochester, home of the American Hockey League Americans. And I wanted to ask you about a couple of interesting teammates you had back there in, uh, on that team. One was uh, Don Cherry and the other Al Arbor. Yeah. What, what, yeah. What, do you, what do you remember about Don Cherry as the player for the Americans? Well, I, I, when, when I was a Marlboro, I went down there. They, you had eight pro games, and that was just before I was going to L.A. This was about 17 and a half, I guess, 18. And I went down there, and Don Cherry was played defense, and he was a character. I'll tell you. He, if if the, if you said that horse was white, he'd say it's gray. <laughs> <laughs> you know, little things like that. And when you were practicing, and you, you know, I'm a kid. I just I'm trying to make it, okay. And we we're in practice one day, and I was coming up at center, and he he just got in front of me a little bit. I put up my elbow, and he goes, "Hey, kid, what do you think? This is a game." <laughs> yeah, it is a game. I said, I'm watching my, I'm trying to make the league. He says, you know what? That's what, what that's what I like to hear. You've got it. <laughs> but no, he was just a funny guy. And then, uh, they had time off and I didn't go home to Ottawa. Uh, I was, uh, I stayed in Rochester for that weekend. We didn't play till, uh, was something like till Wednesday from, uh, uh, a Saturday night. So, Roger Crozier was, uh, I mean, Joe Crozier was the coach at the time, said, you know, if you just want to go home, I could have went to Ottawa, Canada, with my hometown. I stayed. Well, Don Cherry said, I'm having a, a do on Sunday. Would you like to come? And, that, you know, that was Don. Always appreciated. And what he does on TV and stuff like that, that's Don. But he, down to earth, he's just a good guy. And then Al Arbor. Well, I can't say enough about um, Al Arbor was like a protege in, at that time with me. He said, he said, kid, you have it. Now it's going to be up to you. Mm -hmm. He said, if you want to work at it, you work at it. You keep doing the stuff you got. You got the moves. You, you stick up for yourself. And you know what? Make sure you got two, you got two eyes and two ears and straight ahead. Right. <laughs> you know what? You keep your mouth shut at times because you're a kid, but once you get in there after a couple of years, and uh, I went back to L.A., I mean back to Toronto, and there was a write-up, and Al Arbor said, this kid's got it. And, yeah. I, I, you know, to me, I thought that, you know, when you read that stuff, but you, you know, like they said, you know what? 
they do it papers the next day. They wrap fish with it. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, we can read your highlight for that day, but the next day, they wrap fish, it's gone. <laughs> you got to go on. But, you know, speaking of some of the great hockey people you've been around, you've been around most of them. Uh, one of them, of course, is uh, is Eddie Shore. You had a successful stretch in Springfield. So what Eddie Shore, just a, a a person you hear a lot about, obviously one of the greatest players of all time, but a notoriously uh, penny-pinching owner. I've heard various things. What was your relationship like with Eddie Shore? Well, uh, when we went to – when I went to Springfield, Eddie Shore did not own the team. He – we um, – the, we – the Kings had uh, rented it from the – like it was leased – Oh, from the okay. Kings, so it was the Springfield Kings, but Eddie Shore was still in the building. And the first time that we really ran into Eddie Shore was we had played, uh, we used to play the Friday Saturday night game, and then Saturday Sunday, you could be playing in Quebec and playing Springfield, and you'd leave Saturday night on the bus and go halfway, stop at a hotel, and go in and get into the hotel. And you'd play the game. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd come back after the game, right after the game. Or you'd stay in the hotel. Most of the time we'd get in, uh, sleep in the afternoon, check out, play that night and get on the bus and come back. Well, Johnny Wilson was the coach at the time. And he says, uh, <clears throat> look, guys, we're not going to practice. Tuesday. We don't play till Thursday. So we're gonna, I'm going to give you a couple of days. You want to come in Tuesday's late skate, you know. Uh, I, we took advantage. Well, he had 11 o'clock practice on Wednesday. Well, the practices are supposed to be 9.30 to 11.30. This is the contract. Mm-hmm. Well, we get on the ice. You can't hear yourself think. The the uh, the speakers are blaring with music. Oh. You can't even hear yourself. So we're going, what the hell is going on? Well, Eddie Shore is playing the music, and the music was at the penalty box. It was like a the Amol, uh, you know, the 33 record thing yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And he had them blasting. <laughs> well, Eddie, uh, Larry Johnson takes his stick and pushes it so we can listen to <laughs> Coach, you know. So about 10 minutes later, it's on again. So anyway, that lasted about on the ice for about 25 minutes. And then we had a big meeting in the dressing room, you know, for about half hour, 40 minutes. And you know what that was all about? Eddie Shore, we were breaking the lease. We weren't pra- we weren't practicing from 9.30 to 11.30. We were practicing from 11 oh. to 1. We were breaking the lease. And that's how <laughs> Eddie was at the end. I, I, uh, I, I'm with the uh, Springfield Indians uh, alumni, and, uh, you know, we'll get into that later. But uh, I see his, his son a lot, Teddy Shore. Mm-hmm. And Teddy's getting up there now, but you know we we have a lot of stories. You know, and first time I ever came back to the alumni, thing, I said, "Teddy, uh, can you talk to me?" Because you know your dad. You know your dad <laughs> said I was going to go, never be back in Springfield again. You're going to be in L.A. for the rest of your time, and I thought it was a compliment. But the other times he's always picking on me. One time, Butchie Goring and I walked across Center Ice after a practice. He turned all the lights out right after practice. At night after the games, the wives would have to get in the cars, warm the car, you know, when it's cold, 
yep. warm the cars up, and then we get in the cars with them because there was no lights. The, only the emergency lights were on. <laughs> and right. And anyway, make a long story short, um, uh, this is the way we were walking across the ice because the sun came through the roof and we could see easy, you know. So we walked across the ice and uh, we go to the Monte Carlo and it's this bar restaurant and the guys are there and everything. And about mm -hmm. oh, 40 minutes later, we get a call. And uh, one of the restaurant guys, is Butchie Goring or Mike Corrigan here? You have a call from Johnny Wilson. Oh, we go, here we go. We're going up. <laughs> we want to tell LA, you know? And uh, Johnny says, you, got, you have to come to the office. What? Yeah, you have to come to the office. The police are here. Did you hear that? The police are here. What the <laughs> hell is going on? So we go over there. You know what it was? Eddie Shore called him because we walked across private property after oh. uh, 1 o'clock on the <laughs> ice. And he, all he said, did you guys walk across the ice? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, these stories are crazy, but it's they true. Are. That is, you know? uh, yeah, that's that's insane. Hey, when you went to your first big stretch in the NHL, you were original Vancouver Canuck, had an outstanding year uh, with that team. Just in general, uh, what was that first year like uh, playing for a team in its first year of existence? Guys didn't do half bad. You know, the expansion rules are a little bit different than they are today, of course. It was outstanding. Uh, people forget that we were we were right in the playoffs till February. Uh, and we lost a big one of our big players, Orland Curtinback, mm -hmm. and uh, we were right there till the end. And uh, I think we took about the last two weeks. We, uh, you know, we lost the playoff spot. But as far, I mean, you're dealing with a Canadian city here now, and I'll tell you what, uh, they watch everything you do. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, the press is on you there. Which, hey, that's what it's all about. But, I mean, because it's hockey. Canada's hockey. Hockey's Canada, they always said, you know, at the time. Right. And, uh, uh, but it was a great experience. Uh, but I was a king. And uh, my wife was in L.A. And we rented a place up in Vancouver. Oh. And at the time, the kids weren't going to school. So... Uh, she she came up in the middle of the year. Now, before this starts, now uh, this is arbitration. That that's how I went to the Kings. I mean, for, to Vancouver. Okay, mm -hmm. for that year, 1970. Okay, they left me because I was going to arbitration, and Vancouver picked me up because of Hal Laco. He Hal Laco was a coach in L.A. The Freeze. Remember the yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. He, we we got along pretty good, so he called. He 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 wanted me to go to Vancouver if they could get him, and they did get me. And then I went to Vancouver, and uh, I scored twenty twenty one or twenty three goals there. I went to arbitration again, but at, I I when I went to arbitration again, I played about what ten games, and they traded me back to L.A. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a great experience because my wife was very close to uh, um, Mrs. Cook, Jack Kent Cook's mother. She would say, and when Butchie Goring and I were going through for arbitration that year, 
she used to send cookies over. <laughs> and Claudette says, you're not going anywhere. I said, Claudette, don't get into it with Matt. I don't want to hear nothing about it. This is <laughs> this is business and hockey, you know? So we went from there on that. And then uh, uh, I, ca I came back to L.A. And I was, well, of course, I was, now when I say this, please, everybody, I, it's not because I didn't like Vancouver, but I was an original king. I'm coming back to the kings. And so, you know, I was happy, but I was not happy because I left two teammates who I thought were just great players. We played. We had probably one of the top years of our thing at, with, with Teddy, uh, Teddy Taylor and uh, uh, Murray Hall. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Curtinback got hurt, Murray Hall was playing with Curtinback. And Teddy and Taylor and I just couldn't get going with the wingers we had. And uh, that has nothing to do with the wingers. Maybe it was us, you know. But anyway, mm -hmm. once Murray Hall connected, we were the best line the last two months of the year. And uh, and then, you know, we went to arbitration, and uh, I went back to L.A., and that's how it turned out. But I enjoyed my experience. I enjoyed my experience in the NHL because of one thing great players that I played against and played with. Yeah, you've always, experience. absolutely. I've, ever since I've known you, I think one of the things that always stands out with me is that you always appreciate your teammates, the guys you played with, and that bond that you carry through till today. And, yeah. you know, two teammates that you really clicked with, of course, in L.A. were your line mates, Whitey Whiting and Bob Berry. And that line was yeah. great. You scored 37. You found a, a home with those two. Talk a little bit about that line and the success you had. Well, uh, Whitey, everybody thinks Whitey was a finished player. He was the first Swede to play here. But his father got sent over. Uh, his father left Sweden, and he was he grew up in Finland. Right. And yeah, people right. don't realize that. And uh, I can get to that story after this. But Whitey was a, a 6'2", 205. He was a big center, could skate, a real so strong Finnish guy, you know, a Swedish guy, whatever. And Bobby, Bobby was a scorer where I could go down, you know, finesse everything and get, when we get the puck out, Bob, you know, the puck was going in there. But, but when you got it to Whitey, Whitey could roar around the outside of them defensemen or when he went to the middle to the net and that opened up the play for us and that's one thing and I always respected about Whitey that uh, he he didn't couldn't care less about the goals as long as we scored he'd get the puck to you and mm -hmm. he'd take a hit you know and stuff but he opened the play and he, he was a good guy he lived about three doors down from me and then like I said Bobby uh, was a great goal scorer and uh he um, uh, he was uh, when I was at Hockey Day this year. He texted me for the first time, and it was great to hear from him in about ten years. But Whitey, after he, he was just an outstanding player, but Whitey couldn't go on after he played, and uh, unfortunately, uh, great guy, great player. I died mm -hmm. at about thirty-eight years old. But yeah, as far as a player, and. Uh, La uh, last year, I had a, uh, a Swedish writers down here in Florida where I where you, I'm interviewing them on my porch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's raining here, everybody. <laughs> it's not <laughs> nice day today, but it's just light rain. But anyway, they they uh, 
uh, interviewed me for uh, three days, and then they went down to Jig. Uh, they came in on a Sunday, Monday, left Tuesday, see Jigs McDonald, and then came back Wednesday. And they're doing a documentary that should be out in about two more months. He's, uh, the name's Jen Lynn from Sweden. Wow. And they're doing a documentary on Whitey uh, for him because he's the first Swede, and people don't realize that. That's I didn't know that. The, the L.A. Kings, very, very memorable season, 74-75, Coach Bob Pulford, yep. Rogie Vashon, and you guys pile up 105 points. Um, what a year that was. And unfortunately, the, the, the playoff rules at the time and then in bad circumstance really short-circuited what could have been a long playoff run for you guys. Yeah. It was only a three-game series. Uh, with Toronto, I believe, and you also had some other things happening. I know, I think right around that time period, I think Butch Goring got hurt, and I think Dan Maloney had a, a family member pass Bobby away. Yeah, 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 just yeah, weird yeah. things happened. That it was, was a shame. That was the best team that I ever played. We talk about that at the anniversaries. That was the best team from the first year as far as players, the, the original team, as far as getting along and getting together and players coming from all over and to fit in like we did. But that team was the greatest team I played on. Mm -hmm. And that team, I'm sorry, but we didn't deserve two out of three in the first round because that thing could have went six, seven games easy. And uh, Butchie Goring got a cut eye uh, the last game of the year and about the third shift because they weren't, we weren't even going to play. And uh, we didn't think it was that serious while well, it was. As I got infected, he could play. And then Danny just lost her, lost his, lost his father. Well, the uh, uh, two days before the uh, two days before the uh, playoffs started, and uh, so you know you could take two players like that up, but that's not an excuse. But you take two players out of that. And we had 105 points. The Leafs had 76 points, and you know we were playing. We were up top four with the Montreal and Philly. Yes, and I, I just can't think of the other team. But as far as uh, I, I want to get onto this later with both the wives, I mean, off the ice and on the ice, you couldn't have had a closer team with uh, players, wives, girlfriends. Anytime you saw us or saw us at the playoff, I mean, at the rink, you saw uh, before the games, all the women were together, all the girls, you know, mm -hmm. the guys were always together on the road, or, you know, uh, where are we going, you know, after practice? We don't play till Wednesday. You know, this would be like Monday, because we used to have Sundays off a lot in L.A., because you would play sat uh, Wednesday and Saturday at home, and mm -hmm. then not again till next Wednesday. So, so, so it worked out good. Because at that time, Mark, when we traveled, we didn't have it like it is today. Uh, you go to uh, just up the coast, San Jose, Vancouver, you know, to Colorado. We went, uh, we used to have, go to Minnesota, Chicago, go in and then finish off in, uh, in Oakland, you know. And right. we'd be on the road two weeks, you know. I mean, two and a half week, one road trip. And that because at that time it's there was the original six and then there's only twelve teams, you know, 
and so traveling wasn't all set up yet, you know. Right. And and then eventually, after a few years, the traveling got a little better. But when we played that that one round, I was telling you about the playoffs with uh, with Boston and won seven games. We played in in Atlanta after the Toronto year. We played in Atlanta the next year. You know what we were doing a, a week before that playoff? We were went twice a day, twice with Pulford. We were not going to allow any goals. Right. <laughs> and and we went into it. We played Atlanta, and th- we beat them two nothing at home. Uh, uh, yeah, two nothing at home, and we went into Atlanta, beat them three one, and we stayed on the road. Went to Boston because we didn't know if we were playing Toronto or Boston. We ended up playing Boston. Now. That month, you think we didn't travel any miles? That was when you had two, two, one, one, one. Ooh, and we went seven games, yeah, with Boston. And, uh, uh, you know, and people don't realize, but, you know, but that year, Mark, I can't emphasize enough what a great year. From management, everything, and I still say that's the turning point of the Kings before Gretzky, because this is when the arbitration started. Uh, you know, people's contracts, Danny Maloney was gone, Rogie Vashon, they went, remember we went to Detroit, we could have got oh, yeah. Yeah. For, a, for a draft pick. Mm-hmm. A draft pick, but what they do? They traded players like Danny Maloney, Harper, the heart of our team. That you was, know, the people, people forget about that. Marcel obviously, uh, what a great addition and a, great guy. Great, and a guy. great guy. That's the year, as you mentioned, you guys go seven with Boston. Tell me a little bit about uh, his skill level. What type of a guy was Marcel Dion as a teammate? Marcel was a real good teammate. I and I, I like I played with like I said, Whitey Butchie Goring, and Marcel came in. Matter of fact, uh, Marcel came to my. Uh, I was at the press conference. Came to my house with Alan Eagleson. We had a little do at my place, and then. Uh, but at, at first, Marcel was tough to take because our players were gone. You know what I'm saying? We came off a hell of a year, you yeah. know, and then you get Mar- – but Marcel was probably one of my best teammates. He's still a good friend. Great player. Outstanding player for that size. He had great skills, could handle that puck, and he could he, – he knew where to go in the spots. And – uh like I said, is uh, I can't say enough about Marcel. He, he was good for our team, but can you believe that we would have had Butchie Goring, uh, uh, Mar- uh, Marcel? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. With our Danny Maloney and Harper, and I mean, this team was still with Rogie there, you know. And uh, but you know that's management. That's their say, you know. And then uh, another year later, I went to arbitration and I went to Pittsburgh. And uh, Butchie Goring, he went to, uh, matter of fact, a couple of years after me, I was an assistant coach with the Penguins after mm-hmm. I broke my ankle and and uh, I couldn't play anymore. And I was in Montreal the night they traded him to the Islanders, and I could not believe it. Uh, that, that's what pushed that franchise over the top, and that yeah, was one, of the, yeah. one of the great trades, Bill Torrey, yeah. uh, another great trade. Speaking of real quickly, 
the the Pittsburgh Penguin days. You're off in your last NHL season. You were on a pace to end up that season with 25 goals or so. You're playing yeah. really well with with the Penguins, uh, and yeah. then you have that broken ankle. Now, I don't remember the exact story about it. But back in those days, medical procedures and attention maybe <laughs> not what what it is today. Yeah. Could you kind of like uh, it, it? Really was kind of a, a tragic end for you. It was premature. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I was in uh, I was in uh, Buff. They were in Buffalo, and I was I got hit. At, I was coming back, and I back checked with Savard, and I took the puck, and I turned around, and so uh, Savard came, and he was trying to get his arm in front of me to take me out on the boards, and here comes Korab, about six three, right? Mm-hmm. And he took took a run. Well, I tried to get out of the way. Well. He took. He hit Savard. Savard fell in the back of my legs, and only one leg came out, and I snapped my ankle. And uh, I was trying to get up after, and I was like a fish on ice, oh. you know, bouncing. And they had to control me because, and then they did, and they took me off on a stretcher. <laughs> and this is the best one. And uh, so we're in the room, and they can't get any of them. You know, they try to put my boot on, mm-hmm. and they taped. They taped six programs around my ankle with tape. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have the pictures. I wish I had the pictures of that today. And uh, <laughs> took me to the hospital, and uh, I stayed there. The next morning, I came back with the team because we stayed overnight. And uh, the doctor waited for me. And this is the 23rd when it happened. Well, he wasn't going to do nothing on the 24th. You know, and that's that's tough doctor's waiting for me for about an hour and a half he's got he's got christmas stuff to do and the whole thing anyway they put a boot on me a real boot now (laughs) (laughs) and uh like a cast a light cast up to my knee Mm -hmm. and i got operated on the 26th and mark if you would have seen my ankle oh my god was swollen black blue yellow you couldn't believe it and they put a, a plate and six screws in it and I had two lines on each side, like where they went in. And they did a great job because today it's been outstanding. But I just want to let you know this. I went through seven months of hell with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't take the, my ankle couldn't take the plate. Uh, in the whirlpool and stuff, it would swell in and out. Mm-hmm. And they had four operations on it after. And eventually they took the plate out. And you know, when you talk about healing, I think it took me about two and a half years for this ankle wow. to really come into his own. And I skated after. I skated with you guys, you know? And remember yeah. the alumni, and I couldn't believe it. And I never, and I didn't have to put no tape on it or anything. But anyway, but that was an experience that, that's always a big joke in the, with the players in Pittsburgh, some of the players. Mike, you got any programs from there? Did you autograph them? <laughs> but but it, it was great. Mike, I wanted to uh, just we had a chance to see you this summer in in Hartford at the uh, at the reunion event. Always always good. You remain a a uh, a big fixture at, at a number of different events, and whether it be in Hartford, Springfield, Providence. Um, I know you're down in Florida now, but you'll be coming uh, coming back east. Uh, I should say coming back north uh, for some events coming up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I'll be back on the 21st, and then I have a. My daughter 
if anybody in Boston or any around them areas are in Enfield and they need to have a, a good restaurant, go to the Yard Tavern in Enfield. Ask for my daughter, Christine, and just say, my dad sent me. They'll go, another one, another customer. And then if you ever need rings, everybody, go to go to Sweet Jewelers in East Windsor. Another great place. But them two places are great. I just had to get that out, Mark. But Absolutely. like I said, I'm going going back. The Yard Tavern has a big uh, Toys for Todd on the 2nd of December. And then on the, uh, on the uh, 11th of January, it's the Springfield Heritage Alumni at the Springfield... Uh, uh, Thunderbirds night, and that's mm-hmm. a great night. But the big nights are—I just uh, are up in, uh, in in July when they have the Springfield thing at the old old. Uh, um, what was that again? Where we played again in the, Springfield? Uh, the Big E. Yeah, the Big E. We have a big hockey day, and I lost my wife three years ago, and I what I do I present an award to the hockey wife for the last three years, which will keep going on till my my family will do that and i have three girls and a boy and i just thought it was be beautiful that if i could honor a hockey wife especially the ones in our day uh we didn't make millions like they do today but the hockey wives were a big instrumental of keeping teams together that we don't know you know and Absolutely. so that's a big thing that i do and uh but Everybody out there, I was up in Mansfield, Mass for a hockey signing and a couple others out in the Boston area. And uh, I can't say enough about Mass and I can't say enough about Connecticut, how I was accepted as a hockey player. And there's a lot of stories in the Boston area because we played the Bruins of, you know, because I, I was a good friends with Gary Doak, Donnie Ari, and mm-hmm. Bobby Orr was the greatest player. But there's one thing this guy is the most humbling guy. I've got pictures from this guy. My wife died. He sent me a picture of him scoring that Stanley Cup goal, and he mm-hmm. writes to the Corrigan family, always your friend, Mike Cor- uh, Bobby Orr. And you can't believe how our family appreciates that so much. This guy, I was when I was assistant coach with Eddie Johnson, mm-hmm. Bobby would come to practices. But, I mean, to have – to have the the thrill playing against them in junior and then in, in the NHL, and one last thing before I, I really stopped I have stopped off. <laughs> <laughs> December sixteenth, nineteen sixty six, Toronto Marlboros took ten players from the OHA with their team, and we played the Red Armed Army team and lost four three. Not a player over twenty years old playing the Red Army team. Wow, that team is. All, that team, there's not one player not in the NHL off that team. was the greatest game in Maple Leaf Garden. Can you hear that one? They say that's the greatest game wow. played in Maple Leaf Garden. So, And that was a compliment because for Bobby Orr, Serge Savar, Derek Sanderson, them guys like Derek Sanderson, Doke, I played against them with the Niagara Falls. So they carried on, you know, to come into Boston and stuff. So... It's just great experience. Like I said, Mark, I can't say enough about the players that I played against. 
We can't say enough about Mike Corrigan, one of my favorite all-time <laughs> people in hockey, just a, a real good guy with a real respect for the game, you know, paying respects to the hockey wives. It would be typical of you and your lovely wife, Claudette. It's, it's quite a, a way to remember her as well. And uh, always a first-class guy, Mike. We look forward to seeing you uh, at an upcoming event, and uh, we want to thank you again for the time you spent with us today. Mark, anytime because you're a class act and Good luck with your show, and like I said, is uh, you know, hockey is the greatest. Can't say enough about it, and say enough about this interview, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Take care, buddy. Okay, have a good one. Take Peace care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org.